There's the scene where um, they're betting on the, it was the bachelorette uh, auction. And there's a part, if you freeze it, you can see me in the background. And because I'm very pale, um, they have to put makeup on. But but there's like a fine line between when a guy who's really pale puts theater makeup on and it looks like he has his makeup on. And I had gone well past that point. Podcast Junkies, episode 63. You know what that means, right? Actually, nothing. I don't know why I said that. Um, this week, we speak to Mike Vardy in what can only be subtitled the most productive podcast episode ever. But before we get to that, did you catch the interview last week with Christina Cantors? Yes, yes, yes. A bundle of energy, joy, and enthusiasm. And it was really a fun time talking to her. Her podcast is Stand Out, Get Noticed. And she's doing a fantastic job. And she talks about how she was able to finagle interviews with uh, Andrew Warner of Mixergy and Jared Easley simply by being unique and interesting and standing out. So check that out, episode 62. And like I mentioned this week, we speak to Mike Vardy. And we met a year and a half ago at the first podcast movement. and. I wanted to connect with him to, for this conference that you've now heard me touch upon if you're a loyal listener. It was called ProdConf. And actually, I wasn't able to pull it off. So it was one of those lessons learned and um, a failure that uh, I learned a lot from. And more importantly, I made a lot of connections with people that I'm still friends with to this day. So everything for a reason. And if you don't try, then you won't fail and you won't learn. So that was my takeaway. But my point here was that I got to connect with Mike Vardy, thanks to Greg Hickman. Shout out to Greg. And uh, we just, I knew I wanted him on the show for the longest time. And we ran into each other again at Podcast Movement Numero Dos in uh, this past year in Dallas. And uh, finally, we were able to connect. And I, I knew we were going to chat about productivity. Obviously, we, we couldn't help that. But I knew there was more to him than meets the the to-do list. And, uh, I'm glad we, we went in deep on a couple of topics and I got to ask him about, uh, this interesting piece of jewelry on his finger and, uh, some of the stuff that's on his wall and, uh, some of the things he likes to drink. Hopefully that's enticing enough. Enjoy. So Mike Vardy, thank you so much. After meeting you in person about a year and a half ago, we yes. finally, you finally made it onto podcast junkies. I did. I did. We actually met at the first podcast movement yes. and then we saw each other again at the next podcast movement. So are you going back to, do you think you're going to Chicago next yeah, year? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm so, I was, it was almost sad when we were leaving like the last one. I'm like, I've got more to do. I've got more people to hug and high five and <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Friends, it, friends I haven't seen. It was really hot. I was ready to leave though. <laughs> <laughs> it was so humid. Apparently when we left, like right after that, it got even hotter. Yeah, I heard we were, I don't think the only time we left was for that, uh, the hoedown or the rodeo, whatever that was. I left to try to get food on a few occasions Okay, because I didn't want to always eat in the hotel. And I'm like, there was nothing downtown that you could, I mean, we went to get some barbecue and stuff, so that was good. But trying to get breakfast in downtown Fort Worth by where that hotel was, 
you we walked around there was no place so we ended up having to go back to the hotel so that was my least productive moment during that whole time there <laughs> i think uh chicago should be a lot more fun i i've never been to chicago really so i was i was never. in there once for a work thing uh, a couple of years ago that's about it yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that because I'm I'm a big comedy fan, so I'd like to go check out Second City, and you know I'll probably spend a little bit more time there just to get you know get into the city because I used to live like where I used to live near Toronto. I mean, I was closer to Chicago than I am now, where I'm in Victoria, BC. So I get to go to all the other. I've been to a lot of other major cities in the U.S., but not Chicago. So I'm really looking forward to it. So this is uh, known as the show of rabbit holes, and since you brought up com- <laughs> since you brought up comedy, let's start there. Sure. When was the 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 first time, or do you remember how far back what, what it was that uh, drove you to take uh, an improv class? Oh man, you know, I remember when I was doing. Um, it was it was like I think it was like a confirmation or something. I was raised Catholic, so there was like a big confirmation or something like that. And they had it in this in this um, rec facility in Milton, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto. And I used to do like a killer Bobcat Goldthwait impression um, before I think it was before puberty hit, though. <laughs> uh, and so I would go in. So I walked around and it was this is back when like video cameras were the size of, you know, briefcases and stuff like that was it the one with the with the strap yep yeah oh yeah it was big betamax like on the thing and 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 uh i remember um my cousin was going around my older cousin and they were filming stuff and i was doing all these impressions and and everyone's kind of said oh look at you you're like trying to be funny you know and i was and I, i i thought i was funny and apparently i was young and cute so that made it more funny and then from there you know that was kind of the first bit of acting i'd done and then when I went to high school, I was kind of a class clown. So I did like theater and then I did um, – it was around the time that uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was president. A lot of, so a lot, I would do, a lot of comedy fodder there. Yeah, I was doing like the Dana Carvey impression of him um, for like air band. So I'd be on stage going, Nat Gandet, Nat Gandet. Like I'd do the whole thing. And uh, then I went to do work in radio for a little while. And then when I moved to – Victoria, I would have been working for Costco for about five years, maybe actually about three years in, in the Toronto area. And then I got moved out to Vancouver and then from Vancouver to Victoria. And my roommate, he kind of had the sense like I was the humor carried with me wherever I went. And uh, he said, you got to try this improv class like you and me, like you, you guys, you just have this knack about you. I'm like, sure. And I was like into Costco for a number of years. I was management. I was on my way up. I was like the, one of the golden boys. And I went to this improv class and then that was it. Like at that point in time, everything flooded back. Like all of the improv stuff, all of the all the comedy stuff. And at that point in time, I knew I wasn't long for working at Costco anymore. So that kind of took me in the, and, and the first improv class I took with with Spilt Milk, um, I, I took to it. And the next time I went, they said, OK, we're doing this. Uh, we're doing this gig for a television station that's rebranding itself in, in Victoria. And we'd like you to go. And I'm like, sure. Like, I'm, this is going to be fun. So I went and I played this reporter or whatever and like this old gumshoe type reporter. And then at the end of the the next time, the next week, we went to rehearsal again. And he gave the, the Scott, the the guy who runs the troupe, he said, here you go. And he hands me a check. I'm like, what's this for? He goes, well, your, your, your pay. And I'm like, you get paid to do this? Nice. <laughs> and... That was probably one of the highest paychecks I ever received doing improv, but nonetheless, it was it was kind of a recognition that I, I didn't have to stay at Costco doing what I was doing and not necessarily enjoying it. I could move into a space that 
that I, you know, I loved. And I get to use improv to this day. The other day, the, the, I did a, a workshop for the United Way recently. And it was a quick 25-minute keynote. They said they wanted a keynote. They didn't want a keynote. They wanted like a power workshop. Because the first keynote I did, they're like, well, we we're kind of hoping for more actionable stuff. I'm like, well, that's that's not a, a keynote is you take away what you take. Like, So anyway, I watched um, – I had just come back from Webinar Ninja Live in, 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 um, in San Diego, the, the, the event there. And I watched Grant Baldwin, who you know, obviously, right? Yeah. And Grant did a – talks about – and he, I had him on my show. And he said, you know, he has a worksheet that he hands out to everybody as part of his thing. And I'm like, the last time I did a workshop in the library, there was no cell signal. The tech was shoddy at best. And so I'm like, you know, I'm just going to do this. And so I improv I, I had the whole talk done and I, you know, I rehearsed it, but then I'm like, I'm not going to use these slides. So let me create worksheets from these slides and then I can just use them as bullet points. And it worked like a charm. So the ability to, I think anyone who does any kind of speaking or, or podcasting or whatever if you have some kind of improv background, I think everybody should take a class because it gets you to think on your feet. Because improv isn't about um, thinking about things before you go into the situation. It's about being able to think of the thing while you're in the situation and yeah. making it work. And when you can do it long enough and you've been doing it as long as I have, it really is a huge asset. So when when you did that, I think... You mentioned not only did you take improv classes, but you also took acting classes as well? I was an act. I, I won the drama award back in high school. I was a musical theater guy. I actually almost went to musical theater at the University of Windsor in, uh, in, in Ontario. So I, did, I was in musicals. I was in um, Guys and Dolls, My Fair Lady. Uh, I was in a weird play called A Macbeth where there were three Macbeths, and I was Macbeth number two, I think where I was like the evil Macbeth and then the other guy was the good Macbeth and then Macbeth 1 was like apparently the combination of us. Like Macbeth face-off or something? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Macbeth face-off. Yeah, I was Nicolas Cage and 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 uh, and he was John Travolta. Um, but, no, I, I mean, I did do acting here when I moved out to Victoria as well. So I actually did a lot of background work. I was in, um, gosh, what movie? Uh, White Chicks. Remember that movie White Chicks with the uh, Wayans brothers? Brother, yeah. Yeah, you can actually, it's so bad because you can see there's the scene where um, they're betting on the, it was the Bachelorette uh, auction. And there's a part, if you freeze it, you can see me in the background. And because I'm very pale, um, they have to put makeup on. But But there's like a fine line between when a guy who's really pale puts theater makeup on and it looks like he has his makeup on and I had gone well past that point. Oh man. So if you look if you if you anyone has a movie out there and you freeze and you know what I look like you'll be like wow yeah he totally looks like he's wearing makeup like it's not even like evenly placed or anything like that. I was in a, a movie with Patrick Dempsey in the background. I was in before Chris Evans became famous he did a movie called Fierce People with Diane Lane and I was on set for that. So I did a lot of that stuff, but what I didn't like about that, and I guess this kind of points to what I do now, is that you had to have permission to do a lot of stuff. I wanted to do my own film work, and the way that the union works up here is I actually had to ask for permission to appear in my own films. That's strange. Because of the way the union rules were. So if you were if you were trying to appear in your own film, you'd say, okay, well, I'm doing a micro-budget film. Dear union, can I be in my own film? Like it's it's and it's it's not unusual. This happens with a lot of different um, you know acting because it's to protect the actor, obviously, right? But it was very weird because I couldn't um, 
I'm like, why am I going through all this red tape just to make something? Like, why don't I just... So eventually, at one point, I just got tired of the background work because really, most people, when they go, oh, wow, you're in these movies, that must be awesome. No, it's a lot of hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, and then just repetitive stuff. And you're on set for 13, 14, 15 hours. So a lot of that time was spent actually writing and and kind of planning my exit from Costco because I was actually working at both at the same time. But yeah, so I did acting and and I mean, I love getting up on stage and I enjoy, um, you know, I still have a lot of fun around here. I do a, uh, when we were at New Media Expo, I don't think you were there, but um, at New Media Expo, Chris Ducker and I were like doing impressions of, he was doing um, Robert De Niro and I was doing Christopher Walken and we were having conversations. So I get, I love doing that stuff and Chase Reeves and I have a good time and we hang out because we like to do voices and, uh, you know, have fun in that. But um, I think that, that, that the the rigors of the acting career and the lack of income plus coupled with because i did stand-up too and sketch comedy i've got a family i've got two young kids and i mean i can't just up and go and i could tell you that if i stayed in those trends for too long not earning enough income and you know having to leave my family i would not have been welcome back to the family i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure but it's interesting because all those things really color who you are now. And like you said, you can put them all to use. Um, I studied acting for about three years and uh, I actually took an improv class as well. So, Where did uh, you go? Did you go uh, to Wings? No, no. It's just a one-off class. This is when I was living in Atlanta and I thought I was going to pick up acting or at least acting classes again. The, the classes themselves I took for three years, it was in Meisner Technique in, mm. uh, in New York. Yep. So yep. it was just serious. It was a black box theater. And it's interesting, one of my uh, classmates, his name is Otto Asando, mm-hmm. he's an Af- African-American guy, um, he's probably, we're about the same age, or maybe he's a little bit younger, but he kept at it, and uh, he's actually now, he was in a, he's in that series Copper that was on, on cable, and mm-hmm. he, he, was, um, he was the slave in Django who got like whipped by Leonardo. Oh, really? And he just landed a part in the newborn identity. Wow. And so he's blown up. And I just saw him on a trailer the other day for another movie. I was going to give him props on, on, on Facebook. So, but think about it. That was like 15 years ago. <laughs> you got to stick at it. Like you got, you can't like, there's no such thing as an overnight. Gary Vaynerchuk talked about this recently too. Like there's no such thing as an overnight success. I don't care what business you're in. Like, like, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing that, I mean, you watch Bradley Cooper. I mean, Bradley Cooper was on inside the actor's studio asking questions to Robert De Niro when he was going to the actor studio. And then they appeared in Limitless together like mm. years later. And so, and that, that kind of stuff fascinates me. I love watching like the documentaries where like the actors and where they've been and, and like the biography stuff because, you know, and I do the same thing with athletes too. Like I love watching the NFL network and like the football life stories because you get to see where they were. And all of these people, um, they dedicated their, energy their heart their soul their their willpower their discipline to the craft whether they were writers actors directors um and the the it shows if you if you want to do great work then you have to do it consistently and it's hard um i don't know if you've been paying attention lately but Derek, you know Derek sivers is obviously right yeah so Derek, uh in the past couple days has created this thing called the now page and and I don't know if you read about it, but what he did was he's created a page on his website that just says what he's working on now. So who he is, what like all the stuff. So he it's basically like, you know, his, his, his old talk, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Yeah. Now he just says, he just sends them to that page. And 
there's so if you go to the post, it's it's I think it's uh, Derek Sivers Sivers dot org slash now ff I think is the URL. You'll see like tons of people, including myself. Uh, JD Roth's done it. Uh, you know, I mean Paul Jarvis. Like a lot of people who are pretty well regarded on the internet have all done it because it's like look. I want to do great work and I, I want to have this thing that I'm accountable for, like that I can say, hey, look, I'm working on, you know, the now year approach right now. So if you ask me to come and do another joint venture project with you, I, I'm going to say no because I publicly declared it. So it's almost like it, it's really, really cool. And I think that that more people like athletes and stuff like that and actors like they dedicate their time and directors and all that like they turn down projects all the time. You probably hear like, you know, like, oh, the guy who's running going to do the Gambit movie pa- backed out, you know, because why? Well, he probably had a better project that came along and he weighed it and said, OK, I'm saying no. And other actors will say, you know, no to the the thing that 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 that, that comes along because they've already dedicated their time to this one thing. So I think that that it do- has colored who I am. And I think one of the things that I'm focusing on more and more is being able to hone in on one or two parts and di- diving into those as opposed to trying to do everything, um, which we all try to do, no matter whether we're productivity strategists or not, because we want to achieve but and we want to please others and all that stuff. But I would much rather do one thing really, really well, like a Jason Zook who does like the buy my future stuff or, you know, Gary Vee who really does like what he does very well, than do like 20 things, you know, half-assed. Um, because eventually one of those things is going to break, right? Yeah, I think uh, I've been just doubling down on how I'm starting to brand myself. And one of the things that I, I, I was looking through um, one of these coaching videos in, in this class I'm in is about having this one word that defines what you do. And it's really like, you know, is it like amplify or authority or confidence or, you know, it could be in your case, maybe productivity or maybe it's even something higher and then your expressions of that are one level below and um i think it's matt church it was matt church so i got to give him credit but uh, he's a fantastic business coach and so the expressions is one level below so if your one word is amplified then below that you could have uh podcasting productivity motivation but at the top you you know amplify is like the one thing that defines you is like when you wake up in the morning you're like i am this one word and then below that your applications are I have my my cheat sheet, my one day mastermind, my six week video course, my twelve month, uh, you know, master student program, and you know my ebook, and so all those things come on below that. And but just just the concept of having this defining word, and it can change over time as you grow and as you learn new skills. But I thought that was fascinating because it helped for me put together a way to kind of piece together. All these things, and he was using DaVinci as an example, of course, because if you if DaVinci had a website, right, you know, what they would yep. say is like he'd have a million things on there. Yeah. Well, it, Brogan does the three words, right, which is what I've adopted, too. So the three words for every year. So this year, my words were growth, generosity, and gratitude. So everything I did had to at least cover two of those three words, ideally three. In 2016, I'm doing um, – it'll be health, helpfulness, and harmony. I don't I don't believe in work life balance and that's the thing that a lot of people are like what what's harmony mean to you and and that's what I like I like being able to have it's funny when you think about work life balance you think about scales right like does this balance with this and you have to add and subtract and even then it might not still be out of whack but if you've got like if it, your life is in harmony think of it as like a tapestry and the way you arrange something 
it has to look pleasing or at least be congruent. So you could take like if I had this this stretchy ball that I have in my hand, if I had like this and then, uh, you know, my iPhone and then, you know, this easy button all on a plate, as long as it's pleasantly arranged, I can carry it forward. So I'm not a huge believer. I think work-life balance is a huge myth. And and, and I mean, I know it's going off on a bit of tangent here, but you did say it's a rabbit hole. It uh, is, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's – uh, so I agree with you. Like having – you have to have some kind of trigger and a pillar to be able to say, okay – this is who I am. This is what I stand for. Because otherwise, yeah, you can be pulled in all these different directions. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, how do I get way the hell over here? Yeah. I was looking over to uh, my left because uh, as when we were talking about the pre-chat, I have the, the, the new year calendar. But mm-hmm. my three words, and I actually put them on there because I heard you on the podcast mention. I was like, well, if Mike Vardy says I should do it, then I should do it. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my three words for 2015 were focus, forward, and spirit. Nice. I think they sort of defined, um, I didn't, didn't do too well with the focus, <laughs> but yeah, forward is kind of like the forward momentum aspect of it. Like I always got to keep moving forward and, perf- you know, perfect is the enemy of done. So I'm just like, I, I was overthinking things way too much and not putting anything out there. And then spirit just trying to, uh, uh like more spiritual aspects of my life and, and approaching that from a variety of different ways. And that actually worked out pretty well this year. Well, you know what's cool is is the fact that you said I wasn't really good with focus this year. If you didn't pick those three words, then you would you would probably not have a waypoint to look at because the three words also are something that you can reflect upon. So it's like, okay, was I good with growth? Was I good with generosity? Was I good with gratefulness or, or gratitude? Uh, yes, yes, no. And you can pinpoint it a bit more. But if you just don't have those waypoints, then, I mean, it's the same reason I journal, right? Like I want to have that ability to course correct and look back and reflect and have some measure of quantitative and qualitative evidence as opposed to quantitative alone uh, or just this ephemeral kind of, well, what was this year? Like, oh, well, in July I went and did this. Like if you can have some data and it doesn't have to be super precise, but it has to be something that you can look at and go, all right, what didn't work, what did, and how do I make sure that I can fix this going forward? Or, or maybe I don't fix it and I just let it go. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the websites um, or I, I, I use or I get forwarded to me, it's uh, I done this. Yep. Um, it's very simple. It's it's just literally at the end of the day, what are the two or three things? Who did I meet with? And it's it's fun to look back and even like stuff pops up from last year. Like, oh, I talked to that person. And and I, if we don't do, take the time to do it daily, and I know you've touched upon this as well, you know, even like three or four days that go by, you just completely lose track. And sometimes I literally have to um, refer back to my calendar. And I'm like, who did I have booked that day to talk to? And what did I have as an appointment? And I went to the dentist that day or something like that because the mind is like so eager to like put in new data if you give it the opportunity. And because it, it wants to be free. It wants to be able like the, the I've got my now year calendar made by the folks at New Year um, behind me and I've got these X's and those X's indicate when I did journal. I, they don't get an X until I've done a journal entry. Like, so if it's open, then I know I didn't do a journal entry. Mm. And I'm very, I mean, I have my digital tools. I mean, you you know this. Uh, but I have, but I use paper a lot. Like I've got a paper notebook right here, and that's where I'll capture a lot of my stuff because there's something kinesthetic about doing that. And just like there's something kinesthetic about me going cross off done, it gives me the sense of finality that you just don't get from a digital tool when you click on the checkbox and it goes away. I think there's a time and a place for both. And 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 yeah, I mean, you you need to. I love the the the. We have all these tools that are so capable of helping us measure things. But what we end up doing is we end up just keep we just keep going, and we're not really reflective about what we're actually doing while we're going. We just like okay, well, let's. I can't wait for tomorrow, or I can't wait for the weekend, or I can't wait till I have my holidays coming up so I can do the things I really want to do. I'm like, well, 
you, you, if you write things down, like, you know, put Halloween decorations up and make it a recurring task in your, in your task manager every year, then you don't have to think about it again. So free your mind up of all that crap that's taking up space. And then you can do some of the stuff that you really want to do instead of worrying about, oh, wait, did, did I put the hoses out? And, oh, shoot, I got to mow the lawn. Put it in a place. Let that, let that computer, let that digital tool do the work for you. And you do the work that only you can do. Yeah, it seems like this concept of getting things down on paper and uh, I think uh, Ari Mizell uh, referred to it as, or I'm, sure, I'm not sure if he coined it, but the offline brain, just literally yeah. like get it out of your head, get it out of your head and you'd be surprised that sometimes, even something simple like when you meet someone new, they tell you their name, you turn around and you turn back and you're like, I forgot their name. Yep. <laughs> and the brain is really fickle about how and when it decides to like retain information and so you've got to build in, built in, build in these, uh, these little tricks. Yeah. Uh, the point I was trying to make is um, I love having my Moleskin on the, on the desktop at all times, but there's things like the five minute journal. I need, yep. there's, there's a new Kickstarter for the best self uh, journal. Uh, the guys from the guys from five minute journal actually have Productivity a, planner. a yep. new journal. And then Johnny Dumas has got one as well. I don't know if you yeah, know. The, the freedom. Is it the freedom journal? Yeah. And it's interesting that everyone is harping on this concept. And I, I think what's interesting is that they've built something that works for them. And I imagine their circle of friends and yep. they've, They've told them about it, but they're all different takes. You know, they're all, they all think they've identified what's the best way to capture what's in your, in your mind. So I think at the end of the day, for me, a blank page works best. And if I have the things I'm going to jot down every day, I already know what they are. Then I have the space to do that. So you know what I'm going to do? And this is, this is like, I watched the productivity planner go up and I've, and those guys are based out of Toronto and I love the five minute journal idea. Um, what I'm going to do, and this is what I've been planning on for a while, it's captured, it's locked in, like I know where it is, is the now year approach. What I want to do is I don't want to create a notebook out of it, at least not yet. At some point somebody might say, hey, let's make an actual notebook. But I want to create like little stickers or PDFs that people can put on the inside covers of their blank notebooks. Mm-hmm. So if they want to use it, it's right there as quick reference material. So that way they can use it. At, I mean, because I find what happens with a lot of these tools is that people – see the lot like see the framework and it doesn't suit them so they stop using it all together yeah or they feel guilty because they didn't feel it's the same thing with grant the reason that grant uses those worksheets is because people want he leaves blanks on them so people have to fill them out and if they don't fill out the blanks they kind of feel weird that they didn't fill out the blanks they're kind of harkening back to our old school days well if you miss a day in in this journey like in in the in the productivity planner per se you might feel bad about it because it's a blank page like oh i didn't do anything that day um, but I didn't have anything to put in that framework. So I think that that everyone has their own frameworks that they need to have. And I think aids are great. I think different approaches are great. But for me, I think what I want to do is take like, I've got my little field notes notebook here. So I'll make one like a little tiny one that goes on the inside of that. I've got one for the Baron Figs. I've got one for the, the I mean, I've got an Evernote Moleskin over here. Um, I think that having something like that would be far more valuable for me um, because then I'm not, you know, kind of, put inside this box of what, you know, this journal says or this notebook says that I should or shouldn't do. That's why I like dot grid notebooks over lined notebooks, to be honest, too. Yeah, it gives you that flexibility. At the end of the day, and we touched upon it earlier as well, with all the people talking about productivity, there's a, a flavor of voice and a method and a book and a system that works for a variety of different people. And I think they all exist and they're all successful because they find an audience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even for a Canadian guy like me. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing that uh, I think is interesting out of 
all the guests I've had on, you are actually the first with a superhero ring on your finger. <laughs> You're noticing it right now <laughs> as we're looking, yes. Um, I'm a big fan of the Green Lantern. Not the movie, but the uh, but the the character. Um, and it's not been something I've been like the Green Lantern isn't like oh, I've loved him since childhood. Like literally it's been since I've started this journey, right? Like the, what he represents and he being I'm going to use Hal Jordan as the example. Yes, Green of Lampyrus that are out there. I know it's the Green Lantern Corps and I know there's five of them and that are Earths, you know, and I, I know what the sector is. I know all that stuff. I've got all. I mean, in fact, my bookshelf behind me, I've got a actually, I don't even think I have them in here. I have them in, a, in, in the main library in the house. Um, all the comic books from like the Blackest Night series and all that. But what I like is the the idea of Will. I like the, you know, like Will is, to me, if you can if you can tap into your Will and understand when it's being tested, then you have a much better chance of doing the things you really want to do. Um, and the Green Lantern comes, I mean, the Green Lantern Corps, if they, their will, their constructs are only as powerful as the will that they have to, you know, create them. So I love that, that methodology because, and that idea, because, um, again, I'm not a morning person. You and I talked about this before, before we really got into it. Um, so I'm not a guy who uses like an extreme amount of willpower in the morning. I will do all the small win stuff, like the little tiny stuff that doesn't take much willpower because that way I, I use a little bit of it at a time. And then when I hit the evening hours, which we're coming up to, that's when I'm, I've got the reserve left to really knock it out of the park. And then, yeah, I take my little superhero ring in the morning and put it in the charger and charge it up for the night. I don't really do that, <laughs> but you know what I mean. And then the other thing is the reason that I also like him is because the enemy of, of the Green Lantern – was the yellow lantern and the yellow ring symbolized fear. And so again, that whole idea of beating resistance and which, which Stephen Pressfield's talked about, or just facing the fear and doing it anyway, you know, that kind of stuff, it really, really resonates with me. So I'm a big visual avatar guy. You can probably see, I know no one can see it here, but I've got a green lantern. There's a green lantern up print there. There's one that I'm facing. I've got a giant green lantern. Um, uh, I've got a green lantern, uh, um, pencil tin i've got a green lantern action figure that's all green and it he's in my window so he shines through behind me uh i have a whole like shelf with them i've got the little green lantern lego guy um i have avatars of him almost everywhere um tasteful ones not not <laughs> it's not i'm not like <laughs> not you know but adult, they're, they're, adult ones well and they're in and they're and they're placed so that they're not all in one massive place. They're there as like, oh, there's one, there's one. So no matter where I look, I'm gonna see one. And I'm big I'm a big believer in visual avatars because I think that they remind you, even subconsciously, about what, you know, what you're supposed to be doing in that space or what your values are or what your mission is. So yeah, I mean Others need to get uh, the one, a funny story is a, a guy, um, Travis Collier, who's just written a book called Scale, and he's doing coaching now too. He lives in New Orleans now, but he was living overseas uh, with the Coast Guard. He, him, and I met at um, uh, we met at the World Domination Summit a couple years ago, which is Chris Gillibo's conference, and uh, or the conference of Chris Gillibo plans, and he's got like tons. It's not just Chris's conference, but nonetheless, we were it's, there. It's and bigger we, than Chris now. It's bigger than Chris. And so we were at the Deschutes Brewery. I think it was Deschutes. And um, we're sitting around there and we're having beer. And um, I'm with my old podcasting partner, Michael Schechter, from the Mike's on Mike's days. And he's talking about my old book, The Front Nine. And he's saying, I can't believe that you bring up the Green Lantern, Vardy, in this book. 
uh, about golf. I'm like, well, golf has green. Da, da, da. And this one guy, Travis, his eyes perk up. He goes, are you Mike Vardy? Now, and I'm like, yeah, it was very weird because it was like, and he, and he shows me his ring and he's got a blue lantern ring on. And he bought, he said, I read your book and I love the idea of avatars and he bought the blue lantern ring. Now this did not go over well with Schechter because he always like tries to put me down. So he's like, man, this sucks. Like your ego is going to, but it was just so cool to meet this guy and to know that had an impact. And then to know that like we've kept in touch ever since he's bought a red lantern ring. We were, when I did creative live a couple years ago, he hung out with me and my wife and took us to Umami burger and all that stuff showed us around the area. And my wife's like, oh, we should go see Travis sometime. Well, he's in new Orleans now, so we've never been. So of course we will. Exactly. So, I mean, it, it, I think avatars really do mean a lot to people because there's something that, and it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not ashamed about the whole, like someone says, oh, you're wearing Green Lantern ring. Like, who cares? And my kids got this for me too. And to be fair, Schechter actually sourced it out. So this nice Green Lantern ring, and it's not like a toy ring. It's an actual ring. That's yeah, nice. Um, I love it. And, and you know, I think you have to own all this stuff. You have to own the fact that, yeah, I'm a, I write my journal. Sure, you can call it a diary or whatever the hell you want to call it. Sure, I have Green Lantern action figures in my office. Sure, you know, I've got this new, uh, when BB-8 came out for the Star Wars, that little remote control one, I went and bought yeah, I've got Sweet. it. He's looking at it right now. Wow. I mean, you got to own that stuff. And then you got to just make sure that you can, and then the key is to maintain, like, to, to make sure that you don't, um, you know, you don't, to make sure that you can maintain that without, um, compromising other aspects of your life. So without like, I'm not going to go and buy like the green lantern, massive, you know, studio lantern because it's $500. I don't need that. Just like, you know, the BB eight, I'm not going to go like the new R2 D2 projector. I'm not going to buy that. It's, it's about making conscious choices and, and, and that's what productivity boils down to really as well. But you have priced out that large Green Lantern thing, so I think you need I've seen it before. I'm not buying it, though. Remember, I'm not the CFO in my house. My wife is. So. <laughs> but what's interesting, Mike, is all these things that we grew up with, we're not supposed to toss them once we get older because they define who we are and they're part of our childhood. And they some of them bring back really fond memories. And like you said, you're using them, this avatar, for a specific purpose to help you move forward in life and define what's important to you and what you should be focusing your time on. And so, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of that. I mean, for myself and my wife, we love electronic music, so we continue to go to festivals. And every year we go, we're, we're still like, wow, these kids look younger and younger and younger. But, <laughs> but you know what? You know what? We still enjoy being there. So it's like, we're not going to stop and we're not going to stop you know going to the movies that we like going to and just doing fun things just as we get older i think that the people that do that and 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 the families that do that they feel like they have to like shut off that aspect of their childhood and 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 then just become like quote unquote adults well and i think the other thing too is that people shut it off because they feel that there's other things that they could be doing that's going to make you know make ends meet better or whatever i mean i think that you have to carve out time for that kind of stuff like the new star wars movies coming out in as we were as this is airing in what like six weeks yeah or something like that um and again conscious choices here i want to see it opening night oh yeah i'm not seeing it opening night Mm. because my wife and my kids well my kids want to go see it my wife wants to come along i'm not going to go see it at 10 o'clock at night on on a thursday night and my wife's like, well, we could go Friday. It's the last day of school. But Saturday would be much easier for us. I'm like, man, I have to wait till Saturday. Like, the I, you do know I work on the internet. 
Like I see everything that's, so I'm going to have to be, but again, then, then you, again, it's about like, I could have very easily gone and bought a ticket and not cared. Uh, I could have done a whole bunch of different things, but it's about, okay, well, I'm remembering back to my experience seeing Star Wars in 1977 at a drive-in in in Hamilton, Ontario with my parents and blown away and on it before it was Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers was the first movie that was on before. And then, and I'm like, this is unreal. I need to. I need, I think it was 77. Anyways, I saw it in the theater and I'm like, you know, my kids need that too. If they're going to see it and I want to share my first time seeing it with my kids because that's what my parents did. And so that's probably a, an example that, you know, most people can relate to. But we don't do that for a lot of other things. Like we don't do that for things that are, um, you know, really important. We, we, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be busy spending off spending a bunch of time just checking off a bunch of boxes and say, hey, look at all the stuff I got done. But then that book that you want to write is not is not worked on. Or that conference that you want to attend, uh, you haven't done anything or, towards actually going to it. Or, you know, that business that you want to really take to the next level. Instead, you're like, well, I got through 300 emails today. Like, yeah, that's great, but that doesn't matter. Like Inbox Zero is not about getting to your email box to zero. It's about getting your head clear so that you can make proper decisions. So I think if people focus more on that, then they could make more conscious choices like, hey, I got to spend some time thinking about when I want to go to Star Wars. Because most people don't Most people do not do that. They'll go, Star Wars is coming out on Thursday. I better go see it right away because of the internet and because of everyone else will be there. Make, like, pause. Take a, take a breath. That's, I mean, we don't have enough time. We do, we do have enough time to do it, but we don't take the time to do that. We Instead of take, taking that pause and going, okay, Let's let's think about this for a second and leaving the phone alone and turning the email off and having that focused time. Then you can make those conscious choices. And once you start and you see the outcomes, man, like I made a conscious choice not to go to um, not to do theater until my kids are well past the age that they're going to want to be around me. So at least another 10 years, probably at least another five. Well, maybe another six years. Um, Then I might get back into theater. Right. But I'm not doing any of that stuff for now. I keep my I mean, I keep going to shows and stuff like that, but I'm not going to say I'm going to dedicate time to being in a show because the time it's it, I'm making a conscious choice. So I think we need to do that more often. You talked a bit about in one of your early, early, early earlier episodes um, about the importance of practicing patience. And I, I think you came to that epiphany in the pickup zone of Legoland. Yes. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about that? Um. Yeah. You know, um, like it's it's funny. Um, patience for me is, is is like it's hard because, and it's been hard for me because, um, one of the things that I that I I I always want to go. Like I always want to keep moving, right? Um, when you're a productivity guy or girl or whatever, you want to keep moving things forward, but sometimes you forget that standing still is actually moving them forward, being patient. So, um, you know, I mean, things like, uh, going into Legoland and seeing all the Lego stuff and going, I could buy this dimensions Lego video game now, but I can just buy it when I get home and we don't need it right away. And I've been, and, and again, past experience teaches me that if I buy a video game, I play it for like two weeks and then I don't play it anymore. I know I'm not alone in this. Um, you know, the, the lineup, uh, to get into the one ride at Legoland where everyone was, it was funny that it was the, the boat ride and, uh, 
people were all mad uh, because, uh, and it was another one too. There was a, a two rides where the people said, you know, up. Oh, uh, this ride's not, it's, it's the lineup's too long. The ride won't be ready till probably noon is when the things will be picking up. You're more than well, 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 um, you're more than welcome to stay here, but we, we, we figured it might be a 20 minute wait for you. We'd already been to Legoland twice. We're like, fine, we'll wait 20 minutes. It was a five minute wait because, but the people, so many people in front of us were like, no, I must go and do more things like that. And we got on same thing with the, uh, the lost emperor ride I mean, they're like this, the, the ride is broken. Um, we don't know if we're going to get it back up. We're closing soon. Um, make a decision. And a bunch of people left. And we moved to like the second in line. And they decided to put the red back up. So there is something to be said about like taking that time to be, you know, to not move, to yeah. be patient. And I mean, yesterday, as I mean, yesterday, we're recording this earlier, but my daughter came back from a field trip from Vancouver. And her bus wasn't going to be until 7.30 at night. This was her first field trip. And we live on the island, so they had to take a ferry over and all that stuff. So it was an all-day trip. And my wife's like, do you want to go? And I could tell in her voice like she was exasperated, like she didn't want to go pick up Grace. And I just finished doing something similar to what we're doing now. And I thought, yeah, I'll go. And I brought my iPhone with me, and I'm sitting in the parking lot. And I'm like, you know, I'm really mul- – I could multitask right now, like kind of sort of multitask. And I'm like, I'm going to do a podcast about it, which it, Patreon supporters of my show will get to hear, where I talk about like, you know, there are ways to kind of sort of multitask. You're not going to give everything 100% effort, but really sometimes you don't need to give waiting 100% effort. Like I was waiting for my daughter to show up. I'm like, I got 10 minutes. I'm going to record right now. And I wouldn't have had that thought if I didn't have all these other frameworks, all these other things in place. And so I think the other element of patience is to say, I need to set, take some time to set up this framework. I need to take some time to build my approach. I need to take some time. And the payoff won't be tomorrow or the next day or the next day. But then, as we discussed earlier, when you're when you're looking back at your year and you say, focus, ooh, that wasn't a word I really used all that much, you wouldn't have any clue that that was a word that was even resonant with you if you didn't take the time back in November of last year to make that choice. So I think it's important to know that there's no magic bullet and there's certainly no speed uh, speed pill to become more productive and do more of the right things. I think you need to be patient as you test out new systems, new apps, and just know that if you give it consistent awareness and consistent focus and build it into your routines or whatever, then the payoff will be there. But you got to be patient. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to unpack there, and I think some of the most important pieces are around the concept of slowing down as a way to be more productive. Mm-hmm. Because um, you know they tell you in, in in the gym, they tell you the 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 best part of like where you see improvements is during the rest period. Yes, and so. A lot of people in the space, and myself included, we have this go, go, go mentality. And I listen to podcasts at 2x, and I'm so happy when my overcast shows it's two and a half x. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes. And then you meet the person in real life, you're like, hey, wait a minute, you don't sound like that. Thank- <laughs> thankfully, overcast does a great job of um, uh, the pitch. At, the yeah, pitch the pitch. It's the fit. They keep the pitch. Um, smart, but, smart. What's it called? Smart, smart, smart speed or something like yeah, that. Sure. And they and yeah. they cut out the silences too. So yeah when they do this is the equivalent of 2.5 2.67x i'm like wow this is crazy 
but there comes a time like I listen to storytelling podcasts. I'm like, I, I'm not going to do this thing justice. I have to, I no. force myself to slow down. And sometimes there's some podcasts that say, let me play the song for you that this new, this fan sent me. And I'm like, I can't play this song at two X. No, 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 no. Well, I don't listen to any podcasts at, at higher speeds. Um, be, what I do instead is I just either let them sit in the queue or I get, I mean, there are podcasts that I delete and then, um, what I'll do, and the Overcast lets you do this too, is I will actually, if I find an episode that I like, I'll just, I won't subscribe. I'll just grab that particular episode. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times. I mean, the only one that's been consistently on my podcast uh, catcher for years is Todd Henry's Accidental Creative. All the others have come and gone. Some have come back. Some have gone away. Um, there's something about when I'm listening to a podcast, normally I'm washing the dishes or I'm going for a walk. So I don't mind having it play at normal speed. Um, but I do get the, I do get the culture of it. I do get the idea that, okay, I need this to be fast, especially if you got Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin talking about comic books. Like, I would imagine this is being played probably at one at two point time, two point zero speed. Question is, is were you able to catch everything I said? Yeah. At 2.0 speed. If it's yeah, like I said, I've I've mentioned before, it's if it's a comedy podcast and it's just an interview, it's a Mark Maron interviewing Keith Richards. I mean, well, maybe with Keith Richards' accent, I probably do need to slow it down. <laughs> Tim Ferriss, you could probably get away with it too. <clears throat> yeah, so you pick and choose, but it's just this whole idea of getting up away from the computer and going for a walk and realizing that you need to focus on something else different or smell some fresh air or take get some sunlight on your body and it's just we have to build these things in to our normal routine or we just get stuck in this shark moving forward or i'll die mindset which yep. is in the long run is just not going to be healthy for us no i i struggled with going getting like my wife was a big one like you got to get out of the house today like you have to get outside um oh my god and and where i live when it starts raining in November, it doesn't generally have a nice day again until May. Like think of Seattle. That's mm-hmm. kind of the same weather that we have. Um, it doesn't snow, but we do get the – and it, I would actually prefer snow because at least if you go outside and it's snowing, you're not going to get like soaked, right? So – but yeah, I've made a habit of you know like getting up and going for a walk. I, and one of the things I do as part of my themed days and as part of being the stay-at-home dad is on – the days that my wife isn't home with the kids, so Monday and Thursday, I take the kids to school Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and I pick them up Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So, and I walk, and I, and even if the car is sitting here, it's only a five minute walk. I'll walk to school and pick them up, even with an umbrella. We, I mean, if you live in Victoria, you better have an umbrella. And so I'll 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 go in and and pick them up, and that'll be my if I do that twice a day. That I mean, not to mention the couch to five k stuff and and the fit desk that I have and, and all that stuff. If I can do some of that stuff per day, but the big thing is getting outside, then I consider that that a victory. But the Mondays and Fridays and the weekends, the weekends I have to mow the lawn, so I get out there for a while. But beyond that, yeah, I think it's important. And sometimes if you're not getting that, like some people used to make fun of me because I would have like a reminder to say drink water, and they're like, why? Why do you need that? I'm like, because I'm not drinking water. Yeah. Like, that's why. Like, it's not, it's not because, like, well, don't you just naturally know to drink water? I'm like, I know to naturally drink stuff. Like, if I'm thirsty, I'll drink, like, but I might drink a soda or I might drink a beer or I might drink, but I need, but, you know, I have this, like, drink water. I have the, an app that, or I have a reminder that tells me to do the, the, get on the fit desk. Like, 
But uh, people are like, oh, if you need to be reminded to drink water, then you're, I mean, there's something clearly wrong with you. No, I have so much going on that until I build that habit in, until I know that I'm going to do it, I need to be told. Someone needs, to, I need my mother back, right? And maybe that's what my task app is. I need, is my, is my, is my virtual mom that I've invited back into my life to say, Hey, look, don't forget to do this. And don't forget to, you know, make your breakfast the night before and all that, you know, I mean, and growing up, we resisted that too. Like, I don't want to pack my lunch. Now I pack my lunch. Yeah. Cause then I don't have to think about it the next day. I know in the morning when I wake up, there's a neutral blast shake wake, waking for me, waiting for me. And I do the salad in a jar stuff for sat for lunch. There's no argument. It's like, this is breakfast. This is lunch. Dinner is the surprise. And then, you know, I mean, yeah, having, I, and I prep my water the night before I put lemons in it and all that stuff. And people go, why would you do that? Because if I don't do it, then it doesn't happen. Totally, totally, totally agree. I'm a huge um, fan of this idea of we have a limited amount of decision-making power in our day and we have to use it as wisely as possible. So if, if we don't have to think about, Oh, we, I mean, I, I eat eggs and toast like five or six days a week because yep. simply because I know what to do every morning, what I'm going to have. And I'm a big fan of things like blue apron. Like I, I, I like following recipes and, and, yep. and instructions. So if I know what I'm going to make, I'm fine. Like I'll, I'll take care of dinner. Mm-hmm. But and my wife can open the fridge and like magically like piece together. Yeah, I need, I need <laughs> recipes too. I actually uh, so on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays we have meetings. My wife and I, and we call them the effing meeting because we cover three things: food, finance, and family. So we normally cover finance first, which means that. And, and I think that this is important. A lot of people don't do this, and I think if you're in a relationship, I mean, relationships like a like a business it is like a business. It is. I mean, you have your partners. Your, you, I mean, you've got a lot. You've got finances to manage, all that stuff, and you want to make sure everybody's treated equally and fairly. So we have the effing meeting where we co- cover the three F's. One is finance. So we discover discuss all the bills. We have a sense of what's coming in, what's going out. That we t- that takes about twenty minutes, um, at most. Um, and then we have the food part, which is where we do our meal plan for like the next seven to 10 days, because now we know how much money we have. So we know which groceries we should buy and, and who's cooking dinner. What, and that's when I'll go through like these big recipe books. There's a chef in Canada named chef Michael Smith, and I love his recipes. I used to watch him on the food network. So that's where I'll grab my recipes from. And then the final thing we talk about is family. So now that we've got the food out of the way and we got now what's going on with the family this week. Oh, well, Colton's got a, you know, he's got a, uh, uh, he wants to do a play date on Saturday. Okay, well, let's arrange for that. And, well, we got a birthday party this Friday. And once that's all done, the cool thing about that is that not only have we taken care of that, but you know when you're sitting down to watch Netflix or Netflix and chill, as they say, uh, <laughs> instead of going, hey, did you pay that bill? Or, hey, what are we going to have for dinner tomorrow night? You can actually have a date night. That's a great point. Most people don't do that. They're like, oh, well, we can discuss that. We can discuss this stuff while we're sitting watching TV. Well, first off, A, you don't have a, a 100% focus. And B, you're stealing valuable time away from that the 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 reason that you guys are together in the first place. Doesn't matter who you are, you know. Um, so that's something we strive to do, and it doesn't happen every single week. I'll be, I mean, life happens, but when it when we do have a meeting, it's those three things that get discussed, and it's it's phenomenal because it just it's so freeing, and that's really what all this stuff does. Frameworks create freedom, and then they foster freedom as well. Yeah, and I think uh, too people, too many people. Th- believe that frameworks uh, provide rigidity yeah. and that they have to fit it into this model. And like they were asking you, why do you have to write down that you have to drink water? I, I drink enough some, so much sometimes that I force myself to get up and go to the bathroom because that ensures that I, 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 I'm moving. But 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you a thousand percent because, like you said, it allows you to focus the time that you have with your with your family, with your loved ones, to do only that because the mind tends to wander. And I, I even have one of those Aqua Notes pads in my shower. Yep, yep. yep <laughs> because yep. I, you know, you apparently there's some psychological thing about being relaxed and and naked in the shower. It's, it's like your, when your you're mind, running too. It's yeah. like when you exercise. Like your brain is is relaxed and not thinking. But that's why when people say. I say, you got to take a day off. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, don't work that day. They're like, but I have things to do. I'm like, yes. And they're going to come to mind as well as the things that you didn't write down. I'm not saying don't have a notepad with you, but write them down and forget it. That's the other reason back to capturing, like get it out of your head and then you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. You just have to think about when I, I, all of my, all of my jackets have a pen, a multi pen and a notebook in them. So I never have to think about, do I have a notebook? And when I get home, instead of me wondering, oh, what did I write down? I just have to say, did I write something down? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Okay, great. And it goes on my desk. So I'm I'm giving myself simpler questions. That's what your your brain should be able to go, yes or no, not, well, let me think about that. Yeah. No, it should be yes or no. Did I write something down? Yes. Great. Let's take because you cannot evaluate an idea properly or a thought properly when it first comes to you. You can't go. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to create an alarm and this is something I thought about. I'm going to create an alarm for the night owl action plan that's like a ringtone that people when they set their alarm it can say like an evening alarm. It can say, "Hey, hey you, uh, it's time for you to do your journal and write down your three absolutes for the next day and then get get off to bed, won't you?" Like that's what it'll say. And I'm like that it, my brain was like that's a stupid idea. Nobody's going to like, "No, you can't make that evaluation at that time. Yeah, exactly. All you can do is get it out of your head." And too many people do. They're like, "Oh, I'll remember it later." Or, "Oh, that's stupid." And then later on it comes back to you and you're like, "Why does this idea keep coming back to me?" It's because as David Allen says, you've got this open loop. Yeah. Your brain's like it's not closed off. As soon as you write it down, it's closed off in a place you trust. Would you have a Canadian version and a US version so it's get out of bed, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to give you the gears, but get the and get get, get ready for bed. Eh? Well, first watch hockey. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you touched upon the importance of family. In one of the episodes, you had a, a solo parenting adventure where you ended up having a, a newfound appreciation for your spouse because you. <laughs> and if, if the listener could see the look on Mike's face right now, as he's probably remembering what he went through when he actually recorded that episode. That was when my wife was in Paris, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so my wife went to Paris with her mother and her sister, um, which, you know, it was her own adventure all to itself. <laughs> but um, it, it, you know what? It's the last time I remember thinking about this, other than when you mentioned it, was when Jersey Girl was on TV recently, Ben Affleck movie, and it was just him and the daughter. And I'm like, nope, you can't die. Sorry, hon. You just cannot. You can't leave or die or anything. Like, that's not going to happen. It's, it's. I honestly, again, back to these frameworks, kids love routine. Yeah. They need it because they have nothing else to, they can, first off, only now can my daughter kind of tell time. She knows what time, she knows how to read time, but she still has no sense of what, how long things take to, to, to happen. My son, who's five, knows time based on when the sun goes up and when it goes down and how long a show is. So we actually tell him things like, uh, we were flying to San Diego for that Legoland trip. He goes, how long? We're like four shows. <laughs> so it's two hours, right? So we were like, like that's his relationship with it. Kids are, are crappy task managers, are cra- crappy time managers, but they're awesome task managers. If you give them something to do and they're interested in doing it, they will, they will 
do the crap out of it. They will do it to the – like my son – today my wife was at parent-teacher interviews because I wasn't able to go. I was doing a webinar. And uh, she messaged me – and this is this is hilarious. She messaged me just before we went and she goes um, – Colton's kindergarten teacher thinks that he's ready to read now. And my head both went, that's awesome. And then the other part of my head went, oh, man, that means more work. Like, so you, we're human. We have those. But um, it's interesting because, because uh, he also was told, he also told my wife that Colton is so meticulous and detail oriented mm. that if he does, if he colors outside the lines, he gives himself a hard time. If he write, if he guesses a word wrong, he gives himself a hard time. He's concerned about getting the task right. And kids are awesome at that. And then what we do is we teach them over time, no pun intended, that, you know, bell rings this is where you need to be. Oh, this is due by this date. Da, da, da. All of a sudden, we turn, into, turn them into very time-oriented people. And as a result, their task, quality of their task management suffers. But for me, it was uh, the, the having that framework was really important because if I didn't have that, I was already exhausted enough with my wife being gone. Like, it was hard. Um, especially trying to get work done. Like I was working into the wee hours of the morning and then getting up, taking the kids to school, uh, except for my son who was like home with me. So that was challenging, but taking my, or, well, actually I don't think, I don't think we were in school at all. So it was like me home with them by, by ourselves. It was challenging, but frameworks are, are what help. So if you're a single parent or your parents period, having like, I coached a client the other day and she said, um, I said, what's your morning routine? Like she's like, well, from six 30 to seven, I make the kids lunches. I'm like, how old are your kids? Oh, 11 and 13. I'm like, tell them to make their own lunches. Like, why are you making their lunch? And tell them to make it the night before after dinner. That way you're already in kitchen mode and you've got all that. And she's like, that's a great idea. She emailed me today. She goes, it worked like a charm. Yeah. Because there's no argument. You can't really like, well, this isn't a good time to do it. Well, of course it is. You're in the kitchen. You're cleaning up. Chances are some of the leftovers will be your lunch. So it's it makes perfect sense. I said, so now you got an extra half hour in the morning. What are you going to do with it? So... Yeah, I, but I, I mean, man, my wife, she has been <laughs> when I was when I left Costco, I went to go do comedy. Um, and I told you earlier how awesome the uh, the revenue of a comedy <laughs> career is, especially in a small town, Victoria. You're in like the me- you're, you're in the Mecca, right? So we're I'm in like this place where Vancouver's close, but I wasn't going to go. Vancouver's like a 90 minute ferry ride. So it's not like you just go to Vancouver. Um, when I used to go to auditions in Vancouver, I always like, oh, good, I'm going to waste my day because you'd go there. They already had their person in mind, and then you'd go back, but they had to have people come from Victoria to fulfill the mandate of the union. So anyway, um, when I left Costco, and I've told this story before, I quit without telling her up front. So I actually quit my manager job. I love the look on your face right yeah, now. Yeah, like, uh, what? we didn't see how that was uh, received. So I didn't quit outright. Let me be clear. I quit being the full-time manager and stepped down to part-time. And I didn't tell her that I was doing it. She had a, she wasn't surprised at the end of the day. But the reason is because if I had told her I was going to do it, I probably wouldn't have done it. I probably would have felt bad, would have felt guilty. Um, when I left Costco altogether... The comedy crew was starting to do okay, and then all of a sudden the bottom fell out of it a little bit, and she was working three jobs, and I was working like trying to build this comedy thing. I went to go work for an Apple computer dealer to kind of make ends meet. Um, she is like a saint. There is no question that 
if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so lately, she's only working three days a week now. She's down to three days. And she's going to, she's like, I'd like to drop it to two. <laughs> you will never, ever hear me argue with my wife about something like that. She goes, I'd like to get down to two days a week. Because I know she'd never bring it up. But in my head, I'd have the conversation. Like, imagine I fantasize. Like, no, I don't think you can. She's like, well, what about the three jobs I worked? And what about this? And what? Like, yeah. so I, so. You don't want to no, go she, there. No, she's just amazing. And she's great with the kids. And um, we have a really good life. Like, we don't live. I mean, our the, the productivity has hit six figures this year. Nice. Most I've the that the company's ever made, and it may seem modest, but for us, it's. I mean, when I was at Costco, the most I ever made was sixty thousand um, dollars. And it's made six figures, and we're not even done the year yet. As we're recording this, we've still got three months left, uh, or about three months. Um, it's amazing uh, that she and she wants to be part of it more. We were talking about how she's going to do the show notes for the podcast and stuff like that. So I'm very blessed, and uh, I got amazing kids. And I got an amazing life. And I guess what it boils down to is I want to make sure I maintain that. And so I got to walk the walk just as much as I talk the talk. Because as I walk the walk, I'm seeing the results of it. And it's pretty freaking great. There's my Canadian freaking. There you go. There, freaking, freaking great. <laughs> but I think that what's, what's interesting, um, and I can speak from having met you a couple of times in person and having engaged, and you... Um, helping me out with a, a, a now defunct conference that <laughs> that one of those try and fail things, but you were one of the first people that came on board, and and from there on we've maintained our our friendship uh, online, and and then we occasionally run into each other. But there's always this um, air of um, just being humble about you, and I think you'd never forget where you came from. And I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. And then so that comes, and so that comes across as you start to build this business, um, you in, in, in bed or infuse, whatever the word is, that into every aspect of how you live your life and how you treat your friends who were there and how you treat your family. And also, um, this reminds me of the episode you had where you brought your, the people who've contributed to Productivityist on one of your episodes. Yeah. So I, I thought that was fascinating um, and it just happened to be a, a nice tie into what you just said. And I, I think that aspect of, of, of being humble, I mean, is that something that you were just taught at an early age or is that something that a mentor um, made you realize that was important? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I grew up in a family that was... We, we were pretty typical. Um, my parents divorced after 27 years of marriage. So basically, when I left home, uh, they were, or basically as I was leaving, they were breaking up. Um, my dad had this sense of, uh, he's a great guy, but he, he was always trying to, he was very much a guy who would, um, he wanted to be more than what he was in terms of work, but he didn't realize that he didn't have to be with us. Like mm. he was almost like the type of person and still, he's still around. I'm talking about like he's dead, but he's not dead. He's still very much alive. He's just retired now. Um, but he, he, uh, he would be a guy that would, would, would want to be important. And I looked at that and I learned from that, that that's not how I wanted to be around my family. Mm. So I, I learned that lesson from, him. I learned a lot of other lessons from him that were absolutely phenomenally great. Um, you know, that, that were positive ones, you know, like how to work hard 
and how to always provide for your family and how to like they I got to go to Boston on a field trip when my parents couldn't afford it because my dad was willing to like, you know, do a bunch of other things. When I got in a car accident, my mom was ready to kill me and my dad's like, no, no, no. Like so he was very good about that. But the one thing I always noticed about him is that he work meant a lot to him. But to the point where it was almost that like I would have much rather had more time with him as a kid than the amount of money he like the time he spent working so that we could have what we had. And I think that came from his upbringing, too. It was very status oriented. My mom is a lot like me. Very loves humor. Um, she's, she's definitely changed. She's a retiree now. So she's very concerned about the weather a lot and golf um, <laughs> and money. She's becoming more conservative, too. Um, she wants to protect her income. But um, I think I learned it from just monitor like seeing what was going on my mom was always like she was a realtor and she did really well and she didn't like go out and be super salesy she just was earnest and yeah. was herself and um other people that i learned from i i mean i'm learning all the time from people that i see now too you know yeah. like the people i interact like it amazes me uh some of the people that i get to interact with online that you know sometimes i'm like really like you <laughs> you're gonna chat with me all right that's cool um when I got to do the creative live thing, I was like, what? Like, yeah, really? Okay. Like, and then, um, you know, my wife got to go with me and my mother-in-law was like, they're putting you up in this hotel and they're doing what now? Like, yeah. Cause my mother-in-law had no idea what I did for a living. She just like, m- like most parents, like most, like, cause your parents are around the same age. I would imagine they're like, like, so how do you make money again? Yeah, exactly. And so she'd like, well, watch the, on the internet and like, like coming up actually just a week before we, uh, like last week. Um, I did a, an interview for the Globe and Mail, like a video stream. And the Globe and Mail is like Canada's national newspaper. And my mom's like, you're going to be on like in the Globe and Mail? I'm like, well, not in the Globe and Mail. I'm going to be on the TV of the Globe and Mail. She goes, the Globe and Mail has a TV? I'm like, I'll just send you a link. It's fine. Um, but like things like Reader's Digest, like Reader's Digest called me up, Canada Reader Digest. Yeah. And, and they're like, we'd like to do an interview. I'm like, sure. And all I thought about was this is going to be so awesome for my mom and my grandma and doctors and dentists everywhere. Exactly. That's okay. <laughs> but no, I think that I think that, that actually they're 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 patients, right? Yes, they're patients. <laughs> they're patients, not to add they're patients. Um, I see where you went there. Uh, <laughs> but I think for me it's just like I think it's important to treat people well. Yeah. Like I think that that I've been in bad situations, like when I was, you know, when I left uh, school, when I was, fin- I never went to college or university. Mm. I wrapped up and went to co- Costco. But there was like some rough times in between high school and that where I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but I always took with me that I think it's important to like just, I'm not religious. I, I do believe in in being a good person. I think that's ultimately what all of these, you know, all religions, spirituality should be is like, if it doesn't feel good, then you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't feel good to treat people like crap, like to me. So I would much rather treat people well and help them because I know, you know, I mean, I never would have imagined if someone said to me 10 years ago, oh, you know, while well, I was working at Costco or just getting ready to leave Costco, um, you know, in 10 years, you're going to be a productivity strategist that's, you know, you're ta- you've done talks here. You're going to be going to, you'll have done South by Southwest. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm going to be like a door greeter at Costco or whatever like that. So I think it's a combination. I think, I think my upbringing, like the environment I was in probably tra- taught me a lot. Um, I wouldn't necessarily the, say the people did, maybe just my observance of them. Mm-hmm. But I think I've learned a lot just honestly this journey like from when I started this until now, you know, like 
until till where we're at now. And I'm going to keep learning. Like, you know, I mean, I love when we were at podcast. Did you have any of the Japanese whiskey when I, we were at podcast movement? No, I saw you drinking it, though. So the first thing that came to mind was like, like the Japanese whiskey there was th- 12 bucks for like, th- I think I told you that. I'm like, yeah. it's 12 bucks for like a three of them. And that's like, that's ridiculous. And I bought like four, not because I'm like, I can. It's just like, you, you got to try this. Like no one knew, like it was Nick Loper or who is it? it was Scott Barlow. Nick. They're like, Japanese people make whiskey. I'm like, yes. And they won awards. You must try this. I think Srini uh, had some too. I think that I was sharing with, and I'm like, but that's just who I am. Right. And, and, and you know, I think that that's, I think you just got to be a good person. And I think that ultimately when it comes down to those three words I was talking about, like all three of the words, like if I'm being true to myself, then I'm hitting all those three words. And that's, I mean, I want to serve people. I want to help people be more productive. I want to help mm-hmm. them so that they don't have to guess all the time as to what's next and they can actually move forward. So, um, yeah, I know it was a bit long winded, but cause I've never, no one's ever asked me that before. And I really appreciate you saying that. Cause, um, you know, I, I really try hard to, to, to keep that in mind and, and to kind of, um, you know, be mindful of that. Yeah. And I, and I think that's part of what led you to do everything you're doing around productivity. And, and people just look at that as the face value is like, Oh, it's just a productivity guru. But if you think about what the effect is when you make someone's life more productive, you're enhancing the quality of their lives. And you're ma- having them be a, a better father or a better wife, and because they now have more quality time if, if they apply the principles in the right way. There's a, there's a higher purpose, I think, if you will, to doing the these these tips and strategies and notebooks and jotting down and, and to do lists and, and finding a way that works for you. Because if you get that aspect of your life in order, you'll find that you have more time to be more generous, to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more considerate, because you know, you're not worried or stressed out because you don't have control of this aspect of your life. Yeah, it's funny. Initially, you have to do more to do less. Yeah. Like really, at first, that's really what it boils down to. And it's, it's funny, I was, because uh, the now year approach is very based on like the stacking of your years. But when I, and again, this you, you probably come across this too, Harry, where you're like listening to something. And this came from my comedy background too. Jerry Seinfeld talks about this, where he looks at the world differently. Like, so he'll be the guy that goes into the airplane bathroom and sees the air, the razor disposal thing. And he isn't thinking, um, Oh, this is probably because somebody might have to replace their blade because they forgot to his mind goes, who's shaving so much that they need to have disposal things here. So everything that I look at, I look through the lens of productivity. Now, before I looked at like to try to figure out the comedy in it. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, so, I mean, when I watched today's newsletter, I sent this out today as we're recording this about like the problems I was having with the webinar. I'm like, how do I, Oh, I've, I've been watching sports. I've been watching the blue Jays. The blue Jays have batters, batters fail. Like all of a sudden it's like, okay, and there it is. I've got the lens and now I'm going. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I think that, that, the other thing that, that happened is is that, and this is what I was getting to, is that it's not just years. It's like you said, it's higher purpose stuff. So I was reading, I like to listen to audiobooks, and as I wind down at the end of the night, which is normally around 1.30 in the morning for me, um, I want to listen to something that I don't, is not productivity related at all. So I was listening to Martin Short, you know, the actor. Mm-hmm. And he he's from Hamilton, where I'm from, so I actually knew where some of the streets were and all that stuff. And he he's he's reading the book, and all of a sudden I hear this, the nine categories. And I'm like, oh, cool. So he's probably going to talk about the nine categories of his comedy. Like, a, No, it's his, it's his lifestyle approach. And he talks about, and I'm like sitting there, and my brain, one part of my brain's going, 
this is amazing. And the other part's going, no, 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 you just want to go to sleep. And I hadn't, I got, I got up and I started to, so now I've got some other elements that when the, now your approach moves into the now life stuff that I want to do, then I've got that already started through the genesis of what Mark short said. So I was up till three in the morning that night and you know what? That's fine. It's just the way, it's just the way your mind works though. (laughs) It's just the way, but I had to get, but if I didn't get it out of my head then, then I, cause the nice thing it's again, improv to sketch Mm kind of going back to where we started improv classes. Improv is the genesis of sketch. Most improv sketches, like most improv bits become sketches. Like all the stuff you see on Saturday Night Live at some point in time or another was an improvised bit. And, and what's killer is that most of those things happened by accident. Mm -hmm. They weren't, they weren't designed the, the expertise of the players and the creativity of them created these characters like uh wayne's world would be a great example like mike myers and dan you know uh you know that kind of thing uh matt foley you know the chris farley character like all those things came from just nothing and then they became this huge phenomenal sketch that you know so i think that that's once you capture it then you can do so much more with it and yeah it's it's so that's exactly like my brain just goes there and and uh it's important to think if if you can get this stuff out of your head and you can chronicle it, like journal it and, and capture it, then you're going to be able to have a more improved quality of life. Like you said, you won't be worried about checking off all the boxes. Yeah. You, you can focus on checking off the right ones. Or comfortable knowing that you don't have to check off all the boxes. Too. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're a fan of um, sketch comedy, I just had someone on uh, Motion Melvin. He's got a fantastically produced uh, podcast called The Mo Show. Okay. It's sketch comedy. It's definitely not safe for work or kids. So make well, sure. I'll just have my office door shut. That's fine. Um, <laughs> but the production value is completely off the charts. These guys are professional voiceover actors and they work in professional studios. But scripted comedy, um, like a team of, they write the sketches. Uh, they work for weeks until they put it together. And then the episode's only like 15 minutes long. Wow. But when you hear it, you're like, wow. You're, you're laughing your ass off, first of all. <laughs> and then you're like, I can't believe they said that, second of all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember listening to, like, um, like we still have CBC up here. So, there, I mean, we were actually, I was in a sketch troupe, and we were on CBC one summer called So You Think You're Funny. And we did a sketch called uh, The Last Jetsco Flight, because Jetsco was an airline. And the, the premise of the sketch was that the airline was shutting down. We knew that. But everyone that was, like, so they informed the aircraft. And then the aircraft's like, okay, well, that's it. And they started to shut down the engines and all that stuff. And another one we did that didn't make it to air is, you remember Terry Shivo, right? The, the, this was many years ago. The, yeah. the, so this got killed at, at Dress, but it was, I liked it. It was very un- poor taste. Uh, but what we did was we created a cop show called Shivo. And she was basically like a Mel Gibson kind of cutthroat you know cop and then she was partnered up with like the the straight laced cop and there was like the the, the sergeant behind the desk going shabo you tore up a whole country block like what the, the city block or whatever and then like i was playing shivo uh and so i had to like emulate and it was just so and we were all laughing hysterically and one girl was just like we cannot do this sketch we cannot do it um it was so politically incorrect it was it was but again you know i mean I love doing that stuff. I love, I love making something out of nothing. Yeah. And I love that what I do now allows me to make something really useful 
out of, you know, and when I say nothing, I mean like it, it, it's just pieces. I love like making something that's really useful for people out of just what my thoughts are plus maybe some examples that might already co- pre-exist. So you'll definitely enjoy that show. <laughs> oh, I, no, I, I, yeah, I will definitely enjoy that show. I've written it down. I'm going to, I've captured it. I've captured, captured it. it. Yeah, that's the most important thing. I don't have to think thing. about it again. Uh, it'll go in, it'll go in Todoist. <laughs> oh man, this has been a really fun conversation. Yeah, thanks, Harry. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, I'm wondering if what's one thing that you've changed your mind about recently? Ooh. Um, I think I've changed my mind about the calendar and how to treat your calendar a little bit. I've been big on like don't put things on your calendar other than date-specific appointments. I think that there is some merit to putting some tasks on your calendar. Um, but again, I, I don't think it should happen all the time. So like I'll put things on my calendar, like work on book proposal as opposed to hyper scheduling it, like filling it up like some people do. And I, and I don't begrudge them for doing it, but I definitely can see some merit there. Whereas before I was very like, Nope, because that's very GTD oriented is to do it that way. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, so I'm, I'm softening my, I'm softening my stance on that and I'm seeing some merit in it. So I think, and the reason that I think that that's big is because I was very much a do not do that. Um, so I think that again, being a strategist like I am, you have to be willing to, you know, look deeper and say, okay, well, if th- there's so many people doing this, so it must be effective in some way, shape or form. So how do I, reconcile that with what i've been saying and i think that that's that's one way i think that that's that's one of them i think it's a big one honestly for me yeah very important takeaway have you uh kicked the soda habit uh i have kicked the soda habit in terms of we what we have here is i've got a soda stream but i've been putting soda stream came out with and my wife bought these for me uh, the water you know the soda stream waters so we're putting those in there now um Right now, I'm actually focusing on not having beer until Ooh. the end of November, which is tough because I like having a beer to celebrate some stuff. But I still have my bourbon here, so that's fine. It <laughs> uh, <laughs> seems like a fair swap. <laughs> well, but I, but I, beer I can drink pretty relentlessly. Bourbon is not the same. So I think I've done. I mean, my biggest thing is I need to get back on the. I need to. I have my fit desk outside. I need to use that more often. Yeah. I haven't been using it often enough, and, and I need to get back into shape. And I, I watched a football life with Terrell Owens the other night. He's forty-one. I mean, yeah, and he's a freak uh, in terms of like athletic. But I'm like, I don't need to look like that, nor will I ever look like that. But I just want to be in good shape. I want to be able. But my kids are. My son's five. In ten years, he'll be fifty. I mean, hell, in five years, he'll be ten, and he'll want to play catch and stuff. And I'll be forty-six. I want to be able to keep up. So, yeah, the soda habit, getting rid of that has been a challenge, but it's been, it's been working. I've got this, I mean, I've got a lot more water and I'm drinking more tea too. I've been thinking about getting back to bulletproof coffee in the morning too. I've been considering it. Yeah. You know, coffee is yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing it for a while. It's fantastic. I'm thinking about it just because um, I think that it will also help with the soda craving stuff because it, remo- it removes some of the, the, the fat will remove some of the sugar cravings. But we'll see. Uh, my wife isn't a huge fan of like the pricing of the MCT oil and all that stuff. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, uh, I'm always willing to kind of look deeper into some of these things. And I know Dave as well. So Dave lives here in Victoria. So maybe I can get some, uh, go up to his farm and get some MCT oil from wherever he gets from. 
<laughs> direct from the source. Yes, exactly. Have you been to the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in your because it's there? Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's in it's in um, Santa Monica. Santa Monica. Yeah, it's on Santa the west Monica. side. Yeah, it's a little bit far for me, but but. 45 minutes well, but everything in everything in la is a little bit far for <laughs> it is um thankfully i work from home so oh man uh i think we covered a lot we did hopefully everyone's still with us if they're listening at 2.7 speed they, they should be fine if they're listening to 2.7 it's only like a 45 minute conversation no That's big right. deal no biggie exactly. yeah exactly so what's the best place for folks to track you down well i put together a little page for you uh, you know, I learned one of the things I learned at podcast movement. So if you go to productivityist.com slash podcast junkies, you will uh, find, and I have the weekly theming guide there as well as some guided audio. So you'll get that for, uh, you just have to click the link and do the old sign up stuff and you'll get that. Plus you'll be able to get more updates from me down the road as well. That's amazing. And I'm at Mike Vardy on the Twitter, so you can follow me there as well. Yeah. And he's, uh, recommending Japanese whiskeys apparently on there. So I am. <laughs> Centauri makes some really good stuff. Really good stuff. No, I, I, yes, I think Laura Vanderkam asked me today. She's like, what do you do to stay warm in the winter? I'm like, drink whiskey. She's like, what? That that definitely works. (laughs) I had a great time, Harry. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, hopefully we get to catch up sometime before, uh, podcast movement. So let's, let's sync up some travel plans here. Let's see what we can do. So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mike. He was, uh, an interview that was, Two years in the making, I guess you'd say, because if you think about when we first connected at the first podcast movement and then reconnected after the second one, it took a couple of fits and starts, but we were finally able to get this episode recorded. And I've always been a fan of productivity, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to him. But I I feel like I got so much more from Mike after this interview, and uh, I learned a lot of new things about him that I really felt honored uh, to have him share on the show with with us and with you and with me. And um, I'm, I'm just appreciative of his view on life and how he's really taken everything in stride and looked at uh, all the things that have come his way being the culmination of the effort that he's put into this point. And I'm really happy that his uh, productivity ventures are taking off and his business is taking off because I think it's it's well-deserved for someone like him. So uh, once again, the intro and outro music is composed by Cedar and Soil, so please make sure to check them out, cedarsoil.com. And we are a proud member of the Podcastica Network, so make sure you check out that whole slew of shows on Podcastica. This week on the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, Remy Ian and Jonathan cover the super sci-fi classic with uh, none other than Dennis Quaid and Lewis Gossett Jr., Enemy Mine. Man, I haven't seen that movie in such a long time, so I think uh, I might have to check that episode out and see if it still holds up. So uh, don't forget, you can get all the information about the show at podcastjunkies.com. And if you made it this far, we're going to make the retention hashtag uh, related to Mike's favorite character the green lantern we'll do hashtag green ring hashtag green ring if you made it this far that puts you in the super secret society of podcast junkies junkies thanks again for listening guys and uh, tune in next week when we've got another interesting episode and guest for you to check out have a fantastic week